0: السلام عليكم الله وبركاته وعليكم السلام How are you all doing? نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني قولي ربنا زدنا علما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد. In Hadith number three, we learned about how the wahi used to come to the Prophet ﷺ. How initially it came in the form of true dreams. And then eventually the Prophet ﷺ really liked to go into seclusion And for that he would go to the cave of Hira And he would stay there for approximately a month at a time And then we learned as to how the angel appeared to him When the wahi finally came to him And then the wahi started coming to him Continuously after that, which is after the second revelation So just a few things, uh, sister, to share with you With regards to how the wahi first came to the Prophet ﷺ Assalamu alaikum
1: I was actually listening to the lecture at home because I missed a part of it in class and uh, I was just reflecting on some of the things that Sister Taimi was saying regarding the part where she was specifically mentioning about why was it necessary for the angel to press the <laughs> Rasul and she was mentioning the fact that the physical strain, experiencing the difficulty that you're becoming more alert and for many of you, those who have studied science how many of you have heard of the adrenaline hormone? Everybody, right? So what does the adrenaline hormone necessarily do? It's, we call it the fight or flight Hormone it puts you in the mode where you're like, even no matter how tired you are or how exhausted you may be, you're suddenly perked up and ready to go. Like even if you know, you've know you been running for miles and you're suddenly put in a situation where someone comes to attack you from behind, no matter how exhausted you are, your body suddenly becomes very alert, you're very alert, your pupils dilate, and there's a rush okay, to, to move, to do something. So I was just thinking about that when she was saying that, that you were becoming more alert. So the situation of the Rasulah where he was being pressed by the angel Imagine if he was in seclusion and suddenly having this angel compress him, everything would come to like. Can you imagine the situation? How alert he How alert he'd become, right? And the other part was also that uh, when you feel and hear, then you know what you're experiencing is real. So the other thing was in psychology, like we studied psychology of sleep a little while ago too, and we used to joke about that uh, if you wanted to know if you were actually dreaming or not, you'd pinch yourself. I mean, we all know this, right? So just that came to mind too, that, the whole physical effect of the adrenal hormone coming in, as well as the the pressing, and he could feel it, and the pain, etc., made it very clear that it was not a dream. Today, inshallah, we will study hadith number 5. I will read the Arabic first, and then, inshallah,
0: I will tell you the word to a translation. <laughs> حدثنا سعيد بن جبير عن ابن عباس في قوله تعالى لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يعالج من التنزيل شدة وكان مما يحرك شفتيه فقال ابن عباس فأنا أحركهما لكم كما كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يحركهما وقال سعيد أنا أحركهما كما رأيت ابن عباس يحركهما فحرك شفتيه فأنزل الله تعالى لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به إن علينا جمعه وقرآنه قال جمعه لك في صدرك وتقرأه فإذا قرأناه فاتبع قرآنه قال فاستمع له وأنصت ثم إن علينا بيانه ثم إن علينا أن تقرأه فكان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بعد ذلك إذا أتاه جبريل استمع فإذا طلق جبريل قرأه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كما قرأه. Let's look at the word to word. How much of it do you think you understood just by reading the Arabic? Most of it. Alhamdulillah. Haddatana Musa ibn Ismail Musa Ibn Ismail told us he narrated to us. Who does us refer to? Imam Bukhari because he is narrating this hadith from his teacher, Musa Ibn Ismail. He told us that Qala he said Haddatana Abu Awana. Abu Awana narrated to us. Who? Abu Awana narrated to Musa Ibn Ismail. qala Abu Awana said Haddatana Musa Ibn Abi Musa Ibn Abi Aisha? Musa ibn Abi Aisha. Ibn Abi Aisha, this is his kunya, his complete name. He narrated to us. He said, Saeed ibn Jubayr narrated to us. Have you heard of the name Saeed ibn Jubayr? Where? Okay, in ulum al-Hadith, you have learned about him. Anywhere else, you've heard his name. Do you remember sometimes I would give you the multiple interpretations of a part of an ayah or a word, and I would tell you, Saeed ibn Jubayr said such and such, Qatada said such and such. So, Saeed ibn Jubayr is actually a tabari. And he is of the students of Ibn Abbas. Who was Ibn Abbas? He was known as Mufassir al-Qur'an. He would teach the meaning of the Quran to the people. And Sa'id ibn Jubayr was one of his close students. Which is why we see that in Tafsir books you will find his name a lot. So Sa'id ibn Jubayr, he was a student of Ibn Abbas. So Sa'id ibn Jubayr narrated, عن from who? Ibn Abbasin. So he narrated concerning what? In concerning the statement of who? Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which statement of Allah? لا به لسانك لتعجل به. That do not move your tongue while the Qur'an is being revealed to you in order to hasten its recitation. So these verses, in which surah? Surah qiyamah So these verses, Ibn Abbas عُنْهُ He narrated concerning them. Concerning them meaning as to why they were revealed. Why were these verses revealed? Ibn Abbas said, Qala he said. Who said? Ibn Abbas. That cana Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم, the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to yu'aliju. He would take great pain. He would try hard mina from the Tanziil. Tanziil meaning the revelation. Shiddatan intensely, meaning he would take the revelation as it would come to him with a lot of hardship. He would bear a lot of hardship when the revelation would come to him. In other words, when Jibreel would bring the wahi to him, the Prophet ﷺ would put in a lot of effort in order to take it, in order to grasp it, in order to memorize it. So what does the word do mean? Try hard to take a lot of pain in trying to get something, which is why if you've seen the running translation, it's translated as that he used to bear the revelation with great trouble. So shiddatan, intensely, he would take a lot of trouble in in taking the wahi. So what happened then? وَكَانَ And he used to. Mimma, because of that. Min over here gives the meaning of because. So because of the difficulty that he would bear in receiving the wahi, what would he do? Yuhariku, he would move from harakah, Shafatayhi his two lips. Fakala so he said, Ibn Abbasin, what did he say? Fa'ana so ayuharikuhuma lakum. I move them both for you. Meaning, I move my lips for you as well. كَمَا كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم يحركهما Just as the Prophet ﷺ would move them. So when the Prophet ﷺ would receive wahi, he would become anxious, he would take it in with a lot of difficulty, and out of that he would begin to move his lips. Why would he begin to move his lips? To make sure that he was repeating it, so that he would not forget it. Because once you've repeated something, you tend to remember it for longer. So Ibn Abbas while he was narrating this, he said, I am moving my lips to you exactly as the Prophet ﷺ moved them. What do we see over here? That he did not just narrate the words or just the hal, but also the action. وَقَالَ سَعِيدٌ And Sa'eed said, who is Sa'eed? Said ibn Jubay, the student of Ibn Abbas. So he said also, while he was narrating, that, أحركهما, that I also move them both, كما رأيتُ just as I saw Ibn Abbas Ibn Abbas يحركهما he was moving them. So I move my lips for you, just as Ibn Abbas moved them. So you see how the action was also narrated. The Prophet ﷺ moved his lips. Ibn Abbas ﷺ moved his lips the exact same way. And Sa'id ibn Jubayr he also moved his lips the exact same way. فَحَرَّكَ شفتيه So he moved both of his lips. Now, back to the hadith. فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ تعالى So Allah revealed. We see over here that this is Jumla Mu'taridah. Do you remember Jumla Mu'taridah? Parenthetical sentence. That Ibn Abbas was explaining why these ayat were revealed. And he said, كان رسول الله, صلى الله عليه وسلم يعالج من التنزيل شدة وكان مما يحرك شفتيه. Now, Jumla وتعالى. And then he said فأنزل الله تعالى. So Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed concerning this how the Prophet ṣallallāhu would move his lips. What did he reveal؟ لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به. إن علينا wa What does it mean by this؟ إن علينا وقرآن. قال, he said meaning Ibn Abbas said it's jamr, it's collection, laka for you, meaning for you, a prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, where fi in your chest, meaning it is our duty, it is our responsibility to make sure that the Quran is collected where in your chest. In other words, that you are able to retain it, you are able to memorize it, what taqrahu and you recite it, meaning it's our responsibility to ensure that you recite it as well. فَإِذَا Then when we have recited it, فَتَبِعُ Then follow its recitation. qala He said, meaning Ibn Abbas said, فَاسْتَمِعْ So listen له to it. وَأَنْصِتْ And be silent. فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَاهُ Ibn Abbas interpreted فَتَبِعُ as that when we are reciting it, then it means be silent and listen attentively. Summa then inna indeed alayna upon us bayanahu its explanation. Ibn Abbas said concerning this that summa then inna indeed alayna upon us and that the that you recite it. So he interpreted bayan as qira'ah. after that, meaning after these verses were revealed, إِذَا أَتَاهُ Jibrilu, when Jibril would come to him. What would he do? Istamaa He would listen attentively. فَإِذَا when إِنْطَلَقَ He left. He went. Who? جِبْرِيلُ Jibril, Then the Prophet قرأه, He read it. الله عليه وسلم كَمَا قرأه, Just as he read it. Meaning the Prophet would recite just as Jibril had recited to him. Now in this hadith we learn. That Ibn Abbas is basically telling us as to why these verses were revealed. What was the reason behind the revelation of these verses? And because these verses describe wahi, or rather this hadith tells us about wahi, that how initially the Prophet ﷺ would bear a lot of difficulty in taking the wahi, this is why Imam Bukhari has quoted this hadith over here. Because what is the chapter? كَيْفَ كَانَ بَدْءُ الْوَحِي How the wahi began. So how did it begin? We have learned about the first revelation, about the second revelation, about how it was difficult upon the Prophet ﷺ. And over here especially we learn how the Prophet ﷺ used to be when the wahi came to him. That he would try a lot, he would put in a lot of effort, you he would put in a lot of effort in order to retain what was revealed. And in order to do that, he would move his lips quickly. So this is why Imam Bukhari has quoted this hadith over here. Now we see that the Prophet ﷺ would become very anxious when the wahi was coming to him. Why would he become anxious? Why would he become tensed? Why would he become worried? Because remember that the Prophet ﷺ was an ummi, meaning that he could not write. If you hear something once, what can you do? You can write it down quickly. If you just focus on writing, writing everything down, later on you can revise it. Isn't it so? But the Prophet ﷺ was not able to write. So when the angel would bring revelation to him, he wanted to make sure he had memorized everything before the angel left. He wanted to make sure that he remembered everything, that he had memorized everything. So what does this show to us? That first of all, the love that the Prophet ﷺ had for the verses of the Qur'an. He did not want to miss out even one word, even one letter, even one verse. Which is why even when Jibril was reciting to him, he would start moving his lips to make sure that he remembered. So it shows how much love he had. He didn't want to miss even one word. And this shows that a person should be greedy for khair, for something that is truly beneficial, especially the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we cannot even miss one word. We shouldn't, you know, for the smallest of things, miss class, go here, there, get distracted by little things. No, we should give our best focus completely And that's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ would do because he did not want to miss even one word. And he would move his lips. Why would he move his lips? Because he wanted to start reading before the wahi was even over. He wanted to start reciting. Because it happens that once you hear and then you read, then you remember for longer. Isn't it so? But if you don't revise, then what happens? You tend to forget quickly. So this is why the Prophet ﷺ would start moving his lips, meaning he would start reciting the words in his mouth. Now, we see in these verses that the Prophet ﷺ was told not to do that. لا به لسانك به. Don't move your tongue. The Prophet ﷺ used to move his lips. In the ayah we learn, don't move your tongue. Is there a contradiction over here? This is not a contradiction because when you're talking, what do you use? Your tongue as well as your lips. So he would move his lips in order to read, in order to recite the Qur'an, but obviously he would recite it in a very low voice because only the movement of the lips is mentioned. So he would start revising. But he was prohibited to do that. Elsewhere also we learn in the Qur'an, وَلَا تَعْجَلْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ yu'khda إِلَيْكَ وَحْيُهُ That do not hasten with the recitation of the Qur'an before its revelation is completed to you. Why was it that he was forbidden to do such? Why was he told not to move his lips even, not to move his tongue, when the wahi was brought to him. If you think about it, he had a good reason to do that. Why? That the first step to learning is listening attentively and listening completely. If you start moving your lips, if you start reading, if you start reciting along with the teacher, then what will happen? It will hinder your listening. You will not be able to listen attentively. You will not be able to concentrate on what you're getting. And because of that, you will have nothing at the end. You will even forget what you had heard. You will even forget what you have learned. But typically what happens is that out of fear, out of anxiety, we start panicking and then we start reading or we start reciting along with the teacher. But in fact, it hinders the learning process. It doesn't let you learn properly. And it lets your fear overcome you. When your fear overcomes you, when you become anxious, when you become tensed, then can you concentrate? What's your focus on? Your focus is on yourself. What if I forget? What if I forget? Instead of focusing on what you're learning. Isn't it so? This is just like if there is a person who, let's say one of you is asked to come and recite one of the verses on the microphone. If you keep focusing on, oh my God, everybody's listening. Everybody's looking at me. Will you be able to concentrate on correct recitation? No. If you start focusing on Yourself On something that might happen in the future Then you will not be able to get the best Out of that situation that you're in This is why they say Even when it comes to public speaking Don't think about yourself Think about what you're talking about Think about what you have to convey Because when you're focused Then you're able to overcome your fear as well So we see that his anxiety Or you can say the tension of You know, or the fear of I might forget Was overcoming him And it was it was becoming a hindrance for him. It was preventing him from learning properly. So this is why he was forbidden from moving his lips. Now, one thing over here we see that Ibn Abbas عنه, did he actually see the Prophet وسلم, move his lips? Because this surah is Makki, isn't it so? And it was revealed towards the beginning of the revelation. Because he used to do this at the beginning, and then later on he stopped doing this. And Ibn Abbas عنه, when was he born? Only three years before the hijrah. So it's not possible that he must have seen the Prophet ﷺ moving his lips. So he says over here that I am moving my lips for you just as the Prophet ﷺ moved his lips. How did he know? Exactly, this is just like how Aisha Anha narrated concerning the first revelation. She wasn't even there. But how did she know? It's quite possible that the Prophet ﷺ informed her or it's quite possible that she asked, however, we trust the companions. So Ibn Abbas Anhu. He narrated this. Now, we see here that Ibn Abbas ibn Anhu, he moved his lips, and then his student Sa'id ibn Jubair, he also moved his lips. That the hadith, the actions, or the words, or the halat, the circumstances that are being narrated, along with them, the action is also narrated. This is the reason why the muhaddithin would travel to their teachers and listen to the hadith directly from them. You know, one is that you've just heard But the other is that you've heard and you've seen how the hadith was narrated. Like for example, we are just hearing the hadith, we're just learning the hadith. Do we know exactly how the action was? How he moved his lips? We're missing out on that part. But earlier on, what did the people do? What did the muhaditheen do? They would travel to their teachers for this reason, because they also wanted to see the action. Because many times the companions when they would narrate the hadith If for example the Prophet ﷺ smiled at a particular point, they would smile If he had his button open, they would also open up their button while narrating the hadith Because they wanted to narrate the hadith exactly, in the exact way This shows to us the importance of learning Not just from a book but also in the company of other people Especially from a scholar Because it's possible that you can get a lot of information from the book From something that is written But such things you will only learn from who? From a scholar. From someone who has seen it, from someone who has understood it, and he will explain it to you. Then we see over here that Ibn Abbas, he explains the verses as well. The explanation is what Ibn Abbas, he explained according to his own understanding. And remember that Ibn Abbas was who? Mufassir al-Qur'an. So he was known as the one who would do the tafsir of the Qur'an. So Ibn Abbas said, About the verse, لَا تُحَرِّكْ بِهِ لِسَانَكَ لِتَعْجَلَ بِهِ إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا جَمْعَهُ وَقُرْآنَهُ That indeed upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a responsibility to collect it and also to recite it. Ibn Abbas said, جَمْعَهُ لَكَ فِي صَدْرِكَ That it is our responsibility to collect it where? For you, in your chest. So that you will read it. So that you will recite it. What does this show to us? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the responsibility to Ensure that the Prophet ﷺ had memorized the Qur'an. He had received the Qur'an properly. He retained it properly. And that he recited it properly as well. Where the Prophet ﷺ was comforted, that was prohibited that do not move your lips while the wahi is coming, at the same time he was comforted. That don't worry, you will not forget. We will make sure that you remember it. تَنْسَى You will not forget. إِلَّا then the next ayah, فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَاهُ فَاتَّبِعْ قُرْآنَهُ Then when we are reciting it, then you follow its recitation. How did Ibn Abbas explain this? That فَاسْتَمِعْ لَهُ وَأَنصِدْ That when we are reciting the Qur'an to you, then listen attentively and be silent at that time. One question, فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَاهُ Who does we refer to? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But who was actually reciting the Qur'an to the Prophet Jibril. So why is it said that when we have recited it, when we are reciting it? Because Jibril was reciting at whose command? At the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So his recitation became like that of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he was reciting it at the command of Allah. And then the statement of Allah, ثُمَّ إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا Then indeed upon us, it's clarification. Ibn Abbas said that indeed upon us, أن تَقْرَأَهُ That you read it, that you recite it. What do we learn from these verses and the interpretation of Ibn Abbas that when it comes to learning a person must listen attentively quietly, silently because when we are quiet only then can we concentrate only then can we focus and if we start talking if we start reading if we start revising then what will happen? We will not be able to focus we will not be able to understand we will not be able to recall what we had heard We will forget later. So it's imperative that when we are learning, especially learning the Qur'an, then we listen attentively. Then we also learn over here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself took the responsibility to collect the Qur'an. He himself took the responsibility of ensuring that the Qur'an is recited properly. It's qira'ah. And thirdly, the bayan of the Qur'an as well. The clarification, the explanation of the Qur'an as well. From these verses we learn about three things. That Allah took the responsibility of the jamr, the qira'ah, as well as the bayan of the Qur'an. All these three things. So this fact should give us peace of mind that whatever we have of the Qur'an, it is complete. Nothing of it was forgotten. Nothing of it was left out. And the way the Qur'an is recited, the way its recitation is taught, was how the Prophet read it. Meaning he read it properly. From him, the Sahaba learned how to recite properly and they passed on this recitation to the generations later. And then also the meaning of the Qur'an. The meaning of the Qur'an is also something that comes from who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The recitation comes from him and also the meaning comes from him. And this is a huge blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah has not left any word, any statement of the Qur'an ambiguous for this ummah. There is no statement of the Qur'an. No word of the Qur'an that is ambiguous. No, he explained every part of the Qur'an to his messenger. And the Prophet وسلم, what did he do? He passed it on as well. Because when it comes to, for example, the صفات of Allah ta'ala which are mentioned in the Qur'an, his names, his attributes, his actions, many times you may hear, only Allah knows about this. Yes, only Allah knows about that. However, Allah Ta'ala has also said that, إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا جَمْعَهُ فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَاهُ قرآن ثُمَّ إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا Bayana. He also explained it. He also made it clear. Because from this statement that only Allah knows, some people have gone to the extent of saying, especially the philosophers of the past, that they said that, yes, you people don't know anything, and we know the meaning. You don't know, and we know. And they interpreted the meaning according to their own mind, according to their own understanding, which was false. So from this we understand that there is nothing ambiguous in the Qur'an. Nothing at all. Even when it comes to the Huruf Maqatt'aat, yes, we don't know the literal meaning. But what do we know? That they have a purpose. What do we understand? That there is a reason why they're there. Because, Summa inna alayna bayana. So there's nothing ambiguous in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He explained everything. In Surah an ayah 89, also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We have sent down to you the book as clarification for all things. So the Qur'an is clarification. If itself, it is unclear, then how would it be a clarification? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the responsibility of the jamr, the qira'ah, as well as the bayan of the Qur'an. That's what we learn from these verses. Also one more thing we learn from this hadith is where Ibn Abbas said that after these verses were revealed, the Prophet ﷺ, when Jibreel would come to him, he would listen attentively. He would be silent. And then when Jibreel would go, then he would recite exactly as Jibreel had read. What does it show to us? That the Prophet ﷺ obeyed right away. He didn't say, but it's easier for me to remember like this. He didn't give any explanation, nothing. If Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has said something, then just do it. This is what ita'a means. This is what obedience means. That when Allah has said something, do it. Even if it seems difficult. Even if what you were doing previously seemed more reasonable, seemed more convenient, seemed to be working for you. No. Allah knows what's best for you. And if you think about it, why was he told that, listen, pay attention? Yes, first of all, so that he could remember. And secondly, out of respect for the Quran. Because it's disrespectful, isn't it? That when the Quran is being recited, a person starts reciting it alongside or he starts, you know, talking about other things. So this also teaches a very, very important lesson. And we have read it, we have studied it before as well, but it's good as a revision that when the Quran is being recited, then we must pay attention. Not give importance to our words at that point, but give importance to whose words? The words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that time. Anything you'd like to add before we move on to the next hadith? Right away, as soon as uh, Jibreel Islam left him, he went and revised it. That's also a lesson for us that, you know, if we just make dua and say, okay, I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it. Uh, somehow it'll just come to my head. Yes, no, but you have because we generally go to two extremes. Either we worry too much, or we don't worry at all. Isn't it so? We should be in the middle. Either we worry too much to the point that we are worried and tensed and we're making everybody anxious around us as well. Or we go to the extent of, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm not concerned about the marks or the homework or anything anyway. Whatever Allah wants me to understand, remember, I'll remember that. No, you have to put in your effort as well. And we see that the Prophet wasallam, as soon as Jibreel would leave, he would start reading. فَقَرَأَهُ كَمَا قَرَأَهُ
1: The Prophet ﷺ uh, did not know how to write. That's why he would uh, be repeating the revelation right there. So I was just thinking that he did not make his, you can say, lack of skill as an excuse to say that, well, I'm not really able to retain all of this. How am I going to do it? But he figured out a way that, okay, this is how I can do it. So he did it that way.
0: And he was corrected later on, but he still came up with something to make sure that he remembered. And what does that show? How... Clearly he understood his responsibility and how much he loved the Qur'an, that he didn't want to miss out on even one word. Let's continue. Hadith number six. حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدَانُ قَالْ أَخْبَرَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا يُونُسُ عَنِ الزُّهْرِيِّ حَا وَحَدَّثَنَا بِشْرُ بْنُ مُحَمَّدٍ قَالْ أَخْبَرَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ قَالْ أَخْبَرَنَا يُونُسُ وَمَعْمَرٌ عَنِ الزُّهْر قال أخبرني عبيد الله بن عبد الله عن ابن عباس قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أجود الناس وكان أجود ما يكون في رمضان حين يلقاه جبريل وكان يلقاه في كل ليلة من رمضان فيدارسه القرآن فلرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أجود بالخير من الريح المرسلة حدثنا عبدان إمام بخاري and Abdan said, Abdullah Who said, Yunus." Who took the hadith from who? Al-Zuhri. Ha. This ha is actually a part of the text. Don't think it's a misprint. And this ha is abbreviation for the word tahwil. Tahwil. Ta ha ya lam. What does tahwil mean? To turn. To go back and come again. To turn around. So Imam Bukhari, what he's doing over here is that he mentioned one chain of narration, one chain that he has through which he narrated this matan. After that chain, now he goes back and he mentions another chain, Bishr ibn Muhammad. So basically, he's mentioning two chains over here. He narrated this hadith from who? Abdan. And secondly, he narrated this hadith from who? Bishr ibn Muhammad. And if you look at it, both of these chains they go and they unite where at Zuhri. So. Muhammad Abdullah Yunus Zuhri. And if you go back to the previous chain, Zuhri. So he has two teachers from whom he is narrating this hadith, and both of them, they are taking the hadith from their teachers who are taking from their teachers, and they unite where? At az-zuhri And then Azuri, Nahwahu it's like meaning the same narration has been narrated through this chain as well. And Zuhri said قَالَ أَخْبَرَنِي عُبَيْدُ اللَّهِ إِبْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ He said that, عُبَيْدُ Ibn Abdullah narrated to me. From who? عَنِ ibn عَبَّاسِ قال he said Meaning Ibn Abbas صلى الله عليه وسلم The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was أَجْوَدَ الناس, The most generous of all people. وَكَانَ أَجْوَدُ and he was most generous, maya kunu, that he would be when fi Ramadan in the month of Ramadan. So he would be most generous at the time of the month of Ramadan. When, in particular, in Ramadan, حين at the time when Yelkahu he would meet him. Who would meet him? Jibrilu. So he was the most generous of people, and he was the most generous in the month of Ramadan when جبريل would meet him. وكان yalqahu and Jibril would meet him, meaning meet the Prophet وسلم, when في كل ليلة من رمضان in every night of Ramadan. Every night of Ramadan, the Angel Jibreel would come to the Prophet And what would he do when he would come to visit the Prophet ﷺ? فيُدارِسُهُ الْقُرْآنُ so he would teach him the Quran. for اللَّهُ Rasulullah so the Prophet ﷺ was bil بِالْخَيْرِ The most generous bil khayr In the khair, in the good. Meaning in doing good. Min than الْرِّيحِ The wind المُرْسَلَ The one that is dispatched. Meaning fast wind. So he was more generous or more quick in doing good, even more than the fast wind. Let's look at this hadith. First of all, uh, we see that Imam Bukhari mentions two chains over here. And why does he do that? To show The authenticity of this hadith, how authentic it is that he has two chains for it, two very authentic chains. And this hadith, why is it that Imam Bukhari has placed it in this chapter? To prove that the beginning of the revelation was in the month of Ramadan. Because what do we learn in this hadith that the angel Jibreel would meet the Prophet in every night of Ramadan. And what would he do? Revise the Quran, study the Qur'an. Study how much, revise how much, ever that had been revealed since the previous Ramadan. So what does that show? That the first revelation came when? In the month of Ramadan. So that's why this hadith has been placed over here. Now notice how this is not mentioned directly, explicitly. This is how Imam Bukhari proves his points. Now we see that the Prophet, وسلم, the first thing that we learn this hadith is that Kanur Rasulullah he was the most generous of people. No one was more generous than him. No one was more generous than the Prophet ﷺ. In a similar hadith we learn that the Prophet ﷺ was the most courageous of the people and also the most generous of the people. He was the most courageous as well as the most generous. The Prophet ﷺ also said concerning himself that أنا ajwadu waladu adam, that I am the most generous of the Children of Adam And the most generous of them after me Meaning the most generous person after me Is رَجُلٌ عَلِمَ عِلْمًا فَنَشَرَ عِلْمَهُ A person who gains knowledge and then he spreads his knowledge وَرَجُلٌ جَادَ بِنَفْسِهِ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ And a person who is generous with himself in the way of Allah Meaning he gives himself in the way of Allah So we learn from many many hadith The Prophet Wasallam was in fact the most generous of all people No other person was more generous than him. Now the word ajwad is from the root letters jim waudal, and jud means karam, generosity. From the same root is the word jayid. Have you heard of the word jayid? What does it mean? Good, excellent, right? So when something is good, excellent, you say it's jayid. It's of high quality. It's very good. So generous, meaning someone who is very good in their behavior with others, in in dealing with others, and giving to others. From the same root is also the word tajweed. Because what does tajweed mean? To beautify your recitation. Then we have read in the Quran about the horses of Sulaiman Al As-Safinatul Jiyad. What are As-Safinatul Jiyad? Horses that are of pure breed, very noble breed, also very strong. So such horses are As-Safinatul Jiyad. So, ajwad Generosity, being kind, being good, being very good. And you see generosity has to do with nobility as well. Generosity has to do with nobility as well. The more noble a person is, the more righteous a person is, the more good a person is, the more generous he is. We learn from our hadith, the Prophet said that, Inna اللَّهَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is generous and He also loves generosity. So the Prophet was the most generous of people. And when was he more generous in the month of Ramadan? At the time when Jibreel would meet him. How was he more generous in the month of Ramadan? Meaning his generosity was more visible, was more evident. So why was he more generous in the month of Ramadan? Why do you think so? More reward? Because a person is in a state of fasting, when a person is fasting, if he does something good, then at that time the good that is done is accepted. If you think about it, in the month of Ramadan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very generous towards his creation. Isn't it so? How? That a person fasts one day and because of that his face is removed far away from the fire of hell. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very generous to his servants in the month of Ramadan. A person who fasts the month of Ramadan, stands in prayer at night in the month of Ramadan, hoping for reward, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive him. So Allah is very generous in the month of Ramadan and the Prophet ﷺ following the sunnah of Allah also was more generous towards the people. And his generosity was very visible in this month. But the reason that's more obvious from this hadith as to why he was more generous in the month of Ramadan was because he was revising the Qur'an. With who? With Angel Jibreel. That we see here that Jibreel would come and visit the Prophet ﷺ every single night of the month of Ramadan and they would study the Qur'an. Now first thing over here, that Jibril would visit him every night in order to study the Qur'an. Why night? Because when is the right time to revise the recitation of the Qur'an or to recite the Qur'an? When? During the night. إِلَّا نِصْفَهُ انْقُصْ مِنْهُ أو زِدْ عَلَيْهِ So at night, Waratil That is the time to recite the Quran. So Jibreel would come to him at night. And then we see over here that they would study the Quran. What does it mean by the word yudarisu? Yudarisu is from the root letters dal rasin, dars. Tadrusuna. What does it mean to study? How is it that Jibreel would teach the Quran to the Prophet? Does it mean that he would bring new revelation? Not new wahi. The wahi that had been brought to him from before, the Prophet would recite. And Jibreel would listen. Why would he do this? Why would the Prophet ﷺ revise the Qur'an in this way? Is it necessary to revise the Qur'an? Why? Because if you don't revise, you will forget. So we see that the Prophet ﷺ used to revise the Qur'an every single year in the month of Ramadan. It was a regular habit. It was a routine. And this was with who? With Jibreel it wasn't that he did not revise other times. No, he would constantly be reciting the Qur'an. We know how much he used to recite in the night prayer. Surah nisa Surah Ali Imran, Surah Al-Baqarah, all of it he would read. More than that even. So he would recite regularly, but at least once a year he would revise it with who? Jibril, to make sure that he remembered everything correctly. What does it show to us? The importance of revising the Qur'an. If a person has studied the Qur'an or memorized the Qur'an, whether all of it or part of it, then should they be worried about revising it again? Yes, they should. And the Prophet ﷺ would do this in the month of Ramadan. Why in the month of Ramadan? Because the month of Ramadan was when the Qur'an was revealed. And the month of Ramadan, you're in the state of ibadah. Every moment you're concerned about using it in the proper way, in the best way so that you are rewarded for it. So the best form of ibadah in the month of Ramadan is with what? With the recitation of the Qur'an. Whether it is in salah or outside of salah. This is why this tradition of revising the Qur'an in tarawih salah or you know in dawra Qur'an, revising its meaning. This is a very good one. Why? Because it enables you to review the entire Qur'an in a short amount of time. Generally, when we study the Qur'an, we take months or we take years. But when you go through the entire Qur'an within a month, one month, then it gives you a different understanding. Isn't it so? Because you can put the verses together, you can establish the link between one surah and the following surah. Isn't it so? You get the whole picture in front of you. So the Prophet would revise the Qur'an in the month of Ramadan and every single year as well. Which shows to us that the best dhikr, the best form of worship in the month of Ramadan is with the Qur'an. And then we see that Ibn Abbas said that, الله الله that the Prophet was more generous in terms of good. How? More generous than what? Than the fast wind, the wind that has been dispatched. This is said in order to compare his generosity, in order to show to us how very generous he was. If you think about it, fast wind, when it blows, first of all, it's a mercy. And secondly, when it blows, What does it do? It touches everything in its path. If you see, for example, the wind is blowing, you may feel that the trees are moving, the blades of grass are moving, isn't it so? Flowers are moving. Every single thing that comes in the path of the wind, it gets affected by the wind. So why is his generosity compared to the fast wind? Because this is how generous he was. That everyone benefited from his generosity. Not just his family members, not just the people whom he met, but every person that he came across benefited from his generosity. We learn from a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ was not asked anything except that he gave it. He never said no. He never refused. He gave anything that was asked of him. So this is how generous he was. And this generosity was most visible in the month of Ramadan. What do we learn from this hadith? Many, many lessons. First of all, we see the effect of righteous company. The effect of righteous company. What's the effect of righteous company? Righteous action, isn't it? The Prophet ﷺ would meet with Jibril, and he would revise the Quran with Jibril, and as a result, he would become more generous. Righteous company leads to righteous action. How? That increased knowledge also leads to righteous action. But my question is that how is it that righteous company leads you to good action? How? When you're with righteous people, they will remind you to do good. That you're influenced by the people around you. It's possible you know something, but you don't really do it. But when you see somebody else doing it, then you realize, I should be doing this as well. Similarly, it happens that you were doing something. But you're a human being. And it's only natural that you will forget. So if you are in the company of righteous people, will they let you forget? No. You may have forgotten to do it, but once you're with them, they will remind you again. Like for example, all of us know, technically, that when you hear thunder, you should recite the right Torah. Isn't it so? But if you're alone, you might forget. But if you're with your friends who are righteous, who know the adhkar, who say the adhkar, then what will happen? Even if you forget at that moment, they will say it, and as a result, you will say it as well. So righteous company leads to righteous action. Another important thing that we learn from this hadith is that increased study leads to increased action as well. This is why it's important that we keep learning, we keep revising. That the Prophet ﷺ, every single year, every single Ramadan, he would revise the Quran. When he would revise, he would become more righteous. And you see, bil khairi. Some have said that this means that he would become generous in doing good, meaning he would perform different, different types of good. It wasn't just that he gave money, he was generous to other people and giving charity, but rather he became more righteous that he would perform many, many different, different types of good deeds. So what leads to good actions? Righteous company as well as increased study. Increased study leads to righteous action. Because you studied one thing, you forgot about it. The next time you will study, you will remember it. Like for example, this weekend course that we just started, alhamdulillah, three weeks ago now, we started studying the Quran from the very beginning. And we all have studied the ayat at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, the qualities of muttaqeen, the importance of a salah what it means by a salah and then alladhina kafaru, and then the munafiqeen. We know all of these things, but what happens over time? We forget. But every time you start studying again, every time you start revising again, you know, you're reminded, and it affects you. Then, Your salah improves, your actions improve, you become more conscious in spending in the way of Allah. You become more conscious in saying Alhamdulillah. So this is why it's important that we keep revising, keep studying. No person can ever say, yes, I have studied and this is sufficient for me. No, every time you study, it will increase in your action. Every time you revise, it will increase you in your knowledge. Not just in spending money, but spending out of our time, sharing our knowledge as well. There are many other fawaid that we learn from this hadith. Al-Nawawi, he has mentioned some benefits of this hadith. That first of all, he says, encouragement to be generous at all times. It's not just sufficient for us to know that the Prophet ﷺ was the most generous of people. I mean, what do we learn from this? That we should be generous. And he was generous not just in the month of Ramadan, but also at other times. So we should be generous at all times as well. Then we also learn about the virtue of increased generosity during the month of Ramadan. That we should especially spend in the way of Allah in the month of Ramadan. Especially in the month of Ramadan. Then the virtue of increased reading of the Qur'an during Ramadan. That we should also increase our recitation of the Qur'an in the month of Ramadan. Because شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنَ Ramadan is the month of Qur'an. And how can you celebrate the month of Qur'an without Revising the Quran without reading the Quran, without studying the Quran, without listening to the Quran, you're not fully celebrating the month. Then, anything you'd like to share? The characteristic of Prophet ﷺ and one of them yes. was that you are so much jawad. How come you will be in the trouble? And right after that, we are being given another hadith, and this shows again that how Prophet was so, so much ajwad. Yes. So there is. A we see that his wife said that he was very generous, and his companion also said that he was very generous. Somebody else, so that if you are making a mistake, somebody might correct it before we repeat the same mistake. Very true. Same thing, importance of studying with somebody else is because when you are corrected, you usually never forget that mistake. Very true. When you correct it, you don't forget that mistake. But if you're revising on your own, then sometimes you don't even know you've made a mistake. But if somebody is listening to you critically, then they can point out your mistakes, and once they're pointed out, then you will not forget them. Okay, Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadwalla ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa wa barakatuhu.